Welcome to Multi-Asset Investing, a podcast where leading experts explain the trends shaping your investment universe. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With the first quarter behind us, Steve Shepard and Brittany Bauman offer a timely update on the major asset classes, breaking down where they are today and how they fit into a multi-asset portfolio. Within equities, Steve and Brittany discuss a shift in regional allocation, the ongoing growth-to-value rotation, and the continued strength of U.S. small caps. Meanwhile, in fixed income, they deliver a cautionary note to investors fleeing the long end of the curve, reminding us that bonds are a valuable counterweight to equity market risk. Our experts also touch on recent economic data from the U.S. and Canada, which may foreshadow the market movements yet to come. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and share the podcast with your professional network. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change at any time without notice. Welcome to the second edition of BMO's Multi-Asset Investing Podcast. My name is Brittany Bauman, investment strategist in the multi-asset solutions team. And I'm here again with Steve Shepard, director and portfolio manager. Welcome, Steve. Good morning, Brittany. How are you? Doing fine. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Well, it was an interesting quarter, to say the least. Uh, Vaccine uptake is increasing worldwide, led by the U.S. and U.K., We saw another $2 trillion in fiscal stimulus passed in the U.S. with potential for an additional $2 to $3 trillion later this year. Global equities managed to end the first quarter up about 5%, um, but that does mask a lot of the volatility we saw, in part due to a significant backup in bond yields. Going forward, however, we have not changed our stance of overweighting equities over fixed income. But we have made some changes to some of the positioning in our portfolios, which we discuss in our monthly publication. So as a preview to that, diving deeper into equities, Steve, could you walk me through some of the changes we've made there in the past month? Sure, absolutely. To your point, Brittany, I mean, equities are still the preferred asset class. Uh, We're in a uh, reflation environment where the economy continues to open up, albeit in fits and starts, depending upon where you live and what the co- the vaccination rates are. Uh, things have markedly improved over the past three months in terms of pace, even here in Canada, where we've been somewhat criticized. But I would say the biggest change is really in terms of the regional allocation um, in the past month uh, in debate with our investment committee. Uh, we've uh, taken the position that we are moving Canada to a slight overweight, which is being funded by our prior overweights of the U.S. and emerging market equities, uh, which we are pulling back to neutral. Um, We held those overweights for the majority of last year, uh, which was beneficial to the portfolios. But as the economy has reopened and we've seen some changes in the market, it made a lot of sense to us to uh, start increasing our allocation to Canadian equities. So we have been doing that in steps. Uh, This month marks the first month that we are moving our targets to an overweight position for Canada. The rationale for this is primarily uh, reflected in the nature of the rotation of the market towards cyclicals and the value trade Um, in terms of relative valuations overall. Canada 
uh, does look attractive relative to the U.S., but I would say the more important story is in the composition of our market versus the U.S. index, uh, notably our emphasis on financials, materials, uh, and energy. Um, those are the uh, sectors of the market that have really uh, outperformed on a, on a year-to-date basis. We're starting just this past week to see some uh, some uh, trading in terms of uh, the market looking back at U.S. technology once again. But really, these sectors that are the dominant part of Canada's index are the ones that we feel still have legs to continue to outperform as we see the market uh, or the economy continue to open. The yield curve has steepened dramatically uh, over the past uh, six to nine months. That's obviously good for the financial sector. Um, we talked about the housing market in Canada last week as well, a little bit, I think. And, you know, the nature of the mortgage market, we, there are concerns regarding overvaluation for housing prices, but overall, the mortgage environment in Canada is still very healthy. Add that into some dividend increases that could be coming down the pipe, as well as a reduction in loan loss provisions. I think the, uh, the Canadian banks are in very good shape to continue to perform well. Right. So, so being more exposed to the reopening trade and uh, tilting towards Canada is one way to do that. I guess I would also emphasize uh, EM and U.S. equities are are still an attractive long-term trade. So we haven't gone completely underweight uh, and m- maintaining exposure to trends that outlast reopening, specifically technology, is important. Exposure to growth is important as well. And indeed, China and the U.S. are likely to remain the world's growth engine. So we've held a tactical overweight in U.S. small cap equities as well in some of our portfolios. Now, given its quite impressive run already, do we still like small caps here or is now the time to rebalance? Yeah, I mean, there has been, there's definitely been some outperformance over the past six months and small caps just based on uh, the number of stocks that are above their 200-day moving average, as well as um, just in terms of the momentum of flows into the small cap sector. I think it's reasonable to expect that we might see small caps take a little bit of a break here uh, with some market participants perhaps taking some profits at this point. But fundamentally, small caps should continue to perform well. Uh, so we are maintaining our uh, allocation to U.S. small caps. The things that really favor the small cap environment, um, well, first and foremost, is just the massive amount of fiscal stimulus that exists in the system, the loose monetary policy. Uh, we've obviously heard of Mr. Biden's infrastructure bill, which will again favor a lot of these smaller cap industrial uh, businesses as well. Uh, Looking at the composition of the uh, index again, there tends to be a heavier focus on industrials, less so on technology, which is again reflecting some of that growth to value rotation. And then finally, with the increase in uh, in rates, we've seen a little bit of strengthening of the U.S. dollar uh, in the short term, Um, all things being equal. When you've got a rising U.S. dollar, that tends to be somewhat negative on a relative basis for a large cap earnings because they tend to be more internationally focused, receiving their revenues from overseas. And obviously, a stronger U.S. dollar detracts from those foreign revenues. 
whereas small caps tend to be more domestically oriented in terms of the business that they do. So yes, we still feel that small caps have some room to run here uh, and we're comfortable with the position. Fair enough, right, good point um, on the US infrastructure bill, if passed this year, would be an, an added tailwind. And it's also important to recognize we are still in the recovery phase of the business cycle. Things are moving fast, but this is still the phase when small caps outperform. So last time we, we also discussed inflation overheating and the potential for a fast labor market recovery, those calls seem to get louder and, and louder. Uh, in that respect, do we have any change in views with regards to our fixed income exposure? Yeah, fixed income, Brittany, has been one of the more difficult conversations right now. Well, it caught us, and I think, to be fair, a lot of people uh, by surprise is just the pace at which the 10-year really spiked up. Uh, the market seemed to be pricing in the worst case scenario or the fastest case scenario for reopening. And as we've seen here in Ontario just this weekend, obviously, and uh, Italy with, I believe they've, uh, they've gone back into lockdown and their various measures around the world, that may or may not be the case. Um, the other thing that, you know, we've talked about before is the difference between the headline uh, employment number and also, uh, you know, the broader uh, unemployment slack, uh, just in terms of labor slack that's in the market. We had that for several years uh, prior to the pandemic, where we would see the unemployment rate go up in a given month because more people came back into the market looking for work. So in terms of where we are today, there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of room to run in terms of getting people back to work, certainly in North America. Uh, so on that basis, it's hard to see a lot of pressure uh, from wages in terms of uh, price increases. So all this boils down to the fixed income call of where are rates going to go and where do you want your duration to be? The basic rule of thumb people adhere to is, well, if rates are going up, I want to be short duration. And in a bubble or a vacuum, I should say, not a bubble, um, that's true. You want to be at the shorter end of the curve if you expect rates to be going up. However, in a multi-asset portfolio, there are other factors to be considered namely what you're owning the bonds for, which is a hedge versus equities, and also what is the risk return payoff of that, uh, of that call on duration. Um, because as we've seen with yields in the past couple of months, they have been very volatile. And the one thing that we're always hesitant to do is to chase a trade after, uh, after the market has, has moved. So for us right now in our more income-oriented portfolios, we're currently targeting about half a year short of duration, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but the reality is, is that the bonds are there to do a job in a broader portfolio. And if you get rid of all of the duration from your bonds, you don't have that countermeasure against potential equity, uh, against potential equity volatility. So we're not taking a very aggressive stance against uh, rising rates. They will rise. Um, it should slow down in terms of its pace, and we're still very aware of the fact there are several market factors weighing against the notion of sustained high rates and in inflation. And again, that includes Fed policy, monetary policy, the fact that we've still got negative rates in a large part of the world, uh, 
and of course, just the simple rollover effect that once we get past uh, the year-to-year point from trough to peak in terms of inflation, uh, whether we maintain that higher than normal level. Uh, so we've uh, been pretty conservative in our positioning on fixed income. Right. So what's also striking is just how much is already priced into bond yields, uh, which could suggest even room for a disappointment later this year. Um, but having that cushion in your portfolio is important, as you say, and there's still lots of uncertainty with respect to the pandemic, with respect to the labor market in particular. So on that note, um, I'll wrap up with maybe some of the recent data out of the U.S. and Canada. Uh, starting with the U.S. jobs report we got last Friday, job growth rose by over 900,000 in March. So nothing short of stellar. Uh, And that suggests that as businesses reopen and travel picks up, jobs will come back. That said, the U.S. is still down over 8 million jobs since the pandemic. So despite reopening, it may take several years to get all these jobs back, in part because of structural changes like the adoption of technology that has been accelerated by COVID. Now, turning to Canada, Canada is not yet in the reopening phase, as Steve has alluded to. Uh, Regions are shutting down again, and uh, this is not a huge concern, however, because the economy has been resilient so far. GDP growth is rebounding strongly through the first quarter as our jobs And one reason is Canada, like the U.S., is deploying a lot of fiscal stimulus, unlike Europe, where stimulus is likely not enough given the size of its downturn. Housing is also a big tailwind in Canada. Everyone knows that. Low mortgage rates and just the nature of this crisis is boosting single-family home sales. Now, that is taking price growth above the highs we saw back in 2017. As usual, this is raising concerns and prompting the need for action. But more regulation would only temporarily cool housing and even fail to address the need for more housing supply. Ultimately, we think housing will stay supported and rates are likely to stay low, most importantly. And as the economy reopens, that will help rebalance the market. Uh, immigration, for example, will recover it. Nevertheless, we still think Canada will lag the U.S. in the recovery, chiefly because the U.S. is now spending more stimulus and Canadian consumers are much more indebted. Turning back to Steve, anything I'm, I'm missing on the Canadian front? It has been um, you know, quite newsworthy in terms of what is going on in the, the housing market. Yeah, I mean, again, when we talk about housing, it's very, it's very easy to focus on certain urban centers versus a national average. Um, you know, you're working at home the same as I am, and I'm sure a number of our listeners are, uh, and we're wondering, you know, what does work from home really mean in the future? So if businesses are truly moving to a remote model, the more businesses that do, Obviously, that opens up a lot of geography in Canada that becomes a lot more attractive uh, as opposed to people that need to go, oh, say, downtown Toronto. 
even a couple of days a week. Um, I don't think the average person wants to have a two hour commute, even if it's, even if it's only a couple of times a week. So, you know, when you start looking at other centers, I was, I think it's Nova Scotia is uh, putting a pretty hard, uh, hard press on the idea of, uh, you know, if, if you can work from home, work from here, uh, which sounds great. Um, however, if you have to be in an office in a different province on a regular basis, that doesn't really work out too well. The one thing we know about the Canadian mortgage market is that 80% of the mortgage market is funded by five-year fixed mortgages. And the renewal rate this year is still, uh, I believe it's still lower than where it was five years ago for anybody renewing. So the real test is for anybody that's entering into a mortgage today, will they be able to afford that mortgage five years from now? And, you know, without a crystal ball to say what's going to happen in the next five years, if the last 10 years after the global financial crisis is any indication, it will be a slow grind towards this idea of a higher inflation uh, environment where the Fed and the Bank of Canada actually do start raising rates. So to see the, the housing bubble or, or higher housing costs as a threat against the economy at this point, I'd say is a little premature. Um, overall, Canada, it's not matching the U.S. in terms of, of fiscal response, certainly, but uh, it's still very healthy by historic comparisons. And the one thing about people buying houses, moving out of condos to buy single-family homes, we all know that when you buy a house, you buy more stuff. And that's very good for consumer spending, which is going to be funded by the fact that people have more money in their bank accounts. We've seen disposable incomes and personal savings stay elevated throughout the pandemic. So that's also very supportive of the economy. So overall, you know, there's, there's things to be wary of, but... Uh, in terms of our call on Canadian equities moving to overweight at this point, we're comfortable with that. Longer term, uh, we'll have to see, but this is the value of active management uh, in a managed solution portfolio. All right. Thanks, Steve. I think that's a good place to stop. Lots of good news on the vaccine and economic data fronts, but still lots of unknowns with respect to the virus and the labor market. We've made some tactical changes to our portfolios, but above all, we still like equities over fixed income. Thanks again to Steve. Thank you. And please take a look at our monthly asset allocation publication, which will be out in the next week. We hope you have found this informative and look forward to having you back next time. Thank you to Steve Shepard and Brittany Bauman for joining us on the Multi-Asset Investing Podcast. To learn more about today's topic or other views from the Multi-Asset Solutions team, please reach out to your BMO professional. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if applicable, all may be associated with investments in mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Please read the fund facts, ETF facts, or prospectus before investing. 
Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.